be seated. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We are returning for one Sunday back to the Gospel of Matthew. Next Sunday is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and so we want to have a special emphasis on that. And then the following Sunday is the last Sunday in January, which we have committed to making our our Sunday of prayer, our time that we spend together talking about prayer and the sermon and praying together. But this morning we do want to return to the Gospel of Matthew. And as you make your way there, I want to thank Caleb for coming and leading us in music. And uh, Caleb, your mom is here, Jenny Wade. So Jenny and her husband Stephen, for those of you that don't know, uh, her husband Stephen was the pastor here for 18 years uh, and uh, they served here, and, and their handprints, their, their, we might say their soul fingerprints are all over the church, and uh, many people have come and given you hugs and everything, and I know Stephen's usually busy. It, it might be hard for him to get here on a Sunday, but we're glad that you're here. I know people are glad to see you, um, and I just want to say, uh, being a pastor and uh, having a pastor's wife, I think, I think you're your imprint is here just as much as his. I know we have a wall with all the pastor's pictures, um, but the unsung heroes really are the pastor's wives. And knowing um, the times where you were probably the only person that he could go to, um, when, he, when he felt like you were the only person on his side, um, I just want to say that, that we are still beneficiaries of, of you and Stephen serving here. So I just want to say thank you. Um, and uh, we're, we thank God for you. You, you guys bless this church. I get to be a beneficiary of, of your many years of service here. I know it's a special place. So uh, thank you for being here. I just wanted to say that. Um, uh, behind every pastor uh, is a pastor's wife who has probably, I think you would be shocked to know how many times a pastor's wife has talked her husband out of quitting. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Um, so uh, for, for those of you who probably enjoyed Stephen's long tenure here, uh, you probably have a long uh, thank you that you, you owe to her. But anyway... Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, we want to spend some time talking and examining a topic that I think is increasingly in the, the lips and on the minds of people in our culture today. I don't think I can prove this, but I think it's fair to say that there is a word that is being increasingly used, used in our culture. And if I can use a broad enough umbrella for it, it's the term justice. Justice has, has kind of exploded on the scene in our common talk, and more and more you hear the word justice occurred, but it has an adjective in front of it, something to describe it. So just on a quick search on the internet, you will find things like topics like racial justice, economic justice, social justice, environmental justice, climate justice, and yes, even something called reproductive justice, which as I said, we'll talk about next week. But all of this is, is added to our kind of traditional understanding of justice, what we might call forensic justice, this idea that the wicked are punished. 
that, that wrong does not go undealt with, that, that people who break the law get what they deserve. And I think we live in a culture where justice is increasingly on the hearts and minds of people. And, and we may not use that terminology. We may not like the terminology in all those terms, but I think we're just as concerned about justice as anyone else. We see the news and we see somebody commit a crime and we want justice to prevail, right? None of us are actively cheering for the bad guy. Uh, especially when we're wronged, we want justice, right? We are never so much for justice as when we think we deserve it, right? Uh, and, and oftentimes it's little things too. Uh, so, some big thing can happen in the world and we will remain unmoved about a concern for justice. But you know, you go through the drive through and they forget something in your bag. Well, bless God, that's when justice <laughs> needs to take place, right? I think... Our tendency might be to say that there, there's an over-concern with justice, but I think the desire for justice is something that's ingrained in us as human beings created in the image of God. We are created in the image of a God who is just and who cares about justice. And so our sense of justice is triggered when things happen because it's a part of us. And as we investigate this text this morning... I think we'll be happy to find that, that all of that longing for justice, all, all of that deep-rooted longing that our culture displays, I think when we hear this, this very explicit concern for justice, I think what we're seeing is a cry of a lost human heart for justice to be done. And the problem with a lost human heart is it looks for accomplishing what only God can accomplish and, and achieving ends that only God can bring. And so there is a search in the heart for justice, and I think the treasure that seeks it is found in Christ. And so we want to look and see how that is in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Look at what Matthew says. Remember, in verse 14, it's been a while since we've been in Matthew, but Jesus had healed a man, he had healed his hand, and the Pharisees were plotting against him how they might kill him. But then look at verse 15. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. And he warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Quote, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. So if you're going to take away anything from this sermon this morning, I think it's this. I hope it's this, is that Jesus is God's chosen agent to bring justice and hope to the nations. Let me say that again. Jesus is God's chosen agent to bring justice and hope to the nations. We see this in the setup, right? That he knew the crowds were, uh, that he was, they were trying to kill him. So he withdraws and the crowds are following and he's healing them. This is a sign of his power that he is healing those. And, and I think it's important to say that he healed them all. Don't skip over that. Everybody that came to him for healing, Jesus healed. 
There was not a case where Jesus had to refer to an, a specialist, right? He healed them. But then it says he warned them not to make it known. Why? Well, the very logical explanation is it wasn't time for it to be made known. Uh, it, Jesus had a time. It was not time for him to, to lay down his life. He knew people were seeking reasons to kill him. And so he was very wise in saying, let's not give them ammunition just yet. Okay. And so it says he warned them not to make him known, but also there's a reason he warned them. Verse 17, so that it might fulfill scripture and the prophet Isaiah. Now, what is it about this passage that is the fulfillment or, or what is Jesus fulfilling when he says, don't go tell anyone? Well, I think it's twofold. Number one, notice the, the, um, the text in Isaiah says, here is my servant. He will proclaim justice to nations. He will not argue or shout. He will not break. So the emphasis is on Jesus, not necessarily uh, that his followers are the ones who are going to establish this justice. That they are going to be the ones that bring in this fulfillment. In other words, I think Jesus is trying to guard against them going out and saying, let's establish this kingdom here and now. He's here. Let's do it. Let, let's, you know, let's take up our arms and let's do this. But I think another point is, especially in verse 19, it says, he will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. Jesus is not going to go about this as like a street philosopher, a street corner preacher he's not going to argue and debate he's going to proclaim and justice is going to be done but then we get to the text in Isaiah and I think this is where we see he says this is my servant whom I have chosen so Matthew is saying that the one that God has chosen to bring about the justice that we all desire is this servant and this servant is Jesus this is coming out of Isaiah 42, and this is at the, the very beginning of that great section in Isaiah where it talks about the servant, the servant of the Lord, and it culminates in Isaiah 53, right? The suffering servant. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of this, but this is whom God has chosen. Jesus is God's chosen agent. Of all the ways that God could have established the, the true justice that we long for, the way he has chosen, the one way he has decided is through his beloved Son, he says, this is my servant that I have chosen. And it's not just a utilitarian choice. He says, but my loved, my beloved in whom I delight. So God choosing Jesus is not just out of there's no other option or that he's uh, simply, you know, the best uh, pragmatic option. But the father delights in his son. And he loves his son. And he says, I will put my spirit on him. There will be an anointing of, of God's spirit on the ministry of Jesus. And it says, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. So God is chosen. He has chosen Jesus as the chosen agent to bring justice to the nations. And as we look at this... I think verses 19 through 20 give us three qualities of the justice that Jesus brings. The first of all is, is it is a sure justice. It is a sure justice. And I think we see this in verse 19. It says, he will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. You know, 
you've ever met someone who you, you, you sometimes I start a sentence and I just got to stop. You ever met someone that you eventually learn that the louder they are, the more wrong they think they are? You know, like the, the, the louder they shout, the more they're not convinced of their own position. There's not, a, there's not a quiet confidence there. Here, Jesus is not arguing. He's not shouting. It's not up for debate. He's not trying to convince anyone. He knows that he will bring justice to the nations. It's a sure justice. He will proclaim it. And notice the nations will put their hope in it. He will, he will do this until he has, at verse 20, led justice to victory. So this is a sure justice. So when we think about the justice that we experience in our day-to-day life, sometimes, unfortunately, justice does not occur. It's tragic. It is, it is heart-wrenching, and, and, and it's like a punch in the gut when you see it happen. That does not happen with Jesus. That does not happen when God is executing His justice through His servant that he has chosen. It is a sure justice. For some of you, there are things that have happened to you. It might have been last week. It might have been years ago. It might have been something that somebody did do at work. It may have been a church that hurt you. It may have been somebody who did something and you ever wonder, will I ever see justice? God has said that the sure justice of Christ will come. Nothing that has been done will be forgotten. It will be a sure justice. But then notice, not only is it a sure justice, and when we look at verse, four, um, verse 20, I think we see that it's a steady justice. It's a steady justice. It says, He will not break a bruised reed, and He will not put out a smoldering wick. And I love this imagery here, because what is a bruised reed? A bruised reed is, is a piece of grass you can essentially think of. And when it says bruised, it's kind of bent. And, and all it would take is the slightest touch to break it. And then you think about a smoldering wick. You know, you blow out a candle, and there's that little red ember for a split second. When Jesus is establishing his justice, he's not bulldozing. He is so careful so steady-handed, so aware that in his attempts to bring justice, he does not break those who are bent and bruised, and he does not blow out the smoldering wicks. And, and as I thought about this, it's hard to wrap our mind around. Because when we think about justice, we have our very definitive ways that we think justice ought to be done. And we wonder, how is this just? How, how, why? Those are the two big questions, right? How, why? And yet, the scriptures say that God will bring about perfect justice, but he will do it in such a way that not even a smoldering wick will go out. So somehow, God is going to make the whole world right one day, but he's doing it in such a patient, steady, loving way that those who are hurt and bruised and their, their wick is barely lit will not be snuffed out. Man, that, that, that's, that's a God-sized level of being able to accomplish something, right? Because if we're honest, what, what would be our approach, right? Bruce Reed, sorry, get out of the way. We're doing justice here, right? 
Smoldering wick, not my problem. I'm trying to change the world. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? No, Jesus is aware of every bruised reed in this room, every smoldering wick, every corner of your life where you feel like the light is about to go out because of injustice. He's not unaware. He knows, but he's steady-handed in bringing that justice to fruition. Because notice it says, He will not break a bruised reed or a smoldering, smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. Just let that sit for a minute. That Jesus will bring about justice, the victory of justice, but without losing a single one. So it's a sure justice. It's a steady justice. But then we look at verse 21. I think we can say it's a saving justice. Because notice what it says. It says, the nations will put their hope in his name. So what does this promise of justice lead us to do? It leads us to hope. And you realize in, in some languages and in many ways, the difference between hope and waiting linguistically is not very different. I'm going to ask one of our, two of our Spanish uh, speakers, what is the word for wait? Like to wait. Esperar. Esperar. What's the word to hope? Esperanza. Esperar, esperanza. Hoping and waiting, they're, they're really two sides of the same coin. And so what, I, what we see here is the nations long for, they long for justice. We long for right to be done. And we put our hope in his name. But isn't hoping waiting? I mean, are, are, isn't that what to hope means? We're hoping to see something come to fruition. And so when we say it's a saving justice, what we mean is that the nations will put their hope in him. And I think there's a, a salvation aspect to this. The nations will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That We read about in Revelation 9, right? Or Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, that there's a multitude from every nation that have trusted Christ. They'll put their hope in his name. And in doing so for salvation, they will hope in the justice he will bring. And so we want justice, right? We see that Jesus is God's chosen servant for justice. And he'll bring justice and hope to the nations. So here's the thing, though. We want justice. And God has to be just to execute that justice. But let's pause for a moment and ask, do we really want justice? Because when I think about I, we really want justice, immediately what we need to realize is that if we were committed to God bringing justice on those who had done wrong, God needs to bring justice on us. There is a sense in which our desire for justice is not that good for us. When we think about justice, I think if you flip over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, Paul says something that's very applicable to this desire for justice. But then recognizing if we truly wanted justice, that would mean not great things for us. In Romans 3, 
verse 21, it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. This righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all believe, since there is no distinction, okay? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in God's sense of justice, because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, what we all deserve is what? Death. We deserve condemnation. That is what is just. That is what we deserve. But then we keep reading, verse 24, they are justified freely. So, we want justice, but if we got what we deserved, we would be condemned. But yet we are justified freely by His grace, by His kindness, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that punishment that we deserved is now put on Christ. And when we trust Him, we are justified freely through His redemption. But then look at verse 25. God presented Him as a propitiation. In his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. Now look at verse 26. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justified and be declared righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. So because we want justice... We realize what we would deserve is death and condemnation. In order for God to stay just and for justice to be satisfied, if we have any hope, we need Jesus. It's only because of Jesus that as a believer, we can say that this individual justice comes to us, that we have been saved by His grace through faith, such that Jesus makes it that justice can be satisfied, but also that we are not totally lost forever. And so we do have this idea of individual justice, that individual justice will be done. But when you go to the book of Revelation, that's where we want to see and and where we do see cosmic justice, right? That God one day makes everything right. Everything is put to right. There's no more sin, no more death, no more rebellion. There is Nothing but justice and righteousness and peace. So the question then becomes, if God is a God of justice, and He is just and He, he saves us, and He's still a God of justice, what does that mean for us? And I think here is where you have to think of a spectrum. And there's two questions I think we have to ask about this spectrum. Number one... Does God care about justice? Well, you can't say that he doesn't. You just can. To, to say that God doesn't care about justice just flies in the face of, of so many passages in the Bible. You think about Exodus, uh, where the Lord tells the people, do not deny justice to a poor person, Exodus 23, 6. In fact, in Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, Jeremiah says, The wise person shouldn't boast in his wisdom, and the strong shouldn't boast in their strength. The wealthy shouldn't boast in their wealth. But if anyone's going to boast, let them boast in this, that he knows and understands me. Okay? To know and understand you, what does that mean? That I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness. 
Amos 5.24 in a description of the day of the Lord. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. And then, of course, you probably know Micah 8, right? Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. So, yes, God is concerned about justice. And the, the question after that, these two questions, that wasn't, so I guess there's really three questions. That one was free. So there's the, does God care about justice? Yes. Okay, number two, what do we do with that? There's a spectrum here. Do we, do we just, since Jesus is God's only chosen agent, do we just kind of sit back and say, we're just going to wait for justice to be done? Well, I don't think that's really, that, that, that's the far extreme. But then you have the other extreme is where essentially we're trying to bring in Christ's kingdom on our own, where we try to make that perfect justice happen in our own. And somewhere in between is the right answer. Where we do seek justice, we do seek that, that right would be done in the world. But notice, so, so that's the question. We're somewhere in between doing it all ourselves and doing nothing at all. But then there's the other spectrum. The other question is, how do we do it? In the sense of, what's the spirit we do it in? Okay. So here, the spectrum is, we, we're, we're a culture warrior or we're culturally capitulating. So either we, we just have this stance of we are in a culture war and we have to fight or we just kind of cave in to everything that the world tells us to do and, and we pursue the world's sense of justice. And again, it's not really in one place or the other. On, on one extreme, uh, I, I, I think it's dangerous to go to any extreme on, on these two two spectrums, but when it comes to our engagement with the culture, I understand there, there is a uh, if if our response is every time somebody mentions the phrase social justice, we just go, oh, you're a social justice warrior. What are we accomplishing in that? The, the one extreme is, is to be so against... It's actually both extremes are against justice because... We, we wait and we just culture war and we, we kind of get in our little holy huddle and we, we throw rocks from, from our huddle into the, the world and the culture around us instead of actually pursuing that culture and, and seeking justice versus where we capitulate so much that we never actually pursue justice. And I guess if we're going to boil it down, does God care about justice? Yes. Does that mean we are called to pursue justice? Yes. And how are we called to pursue justice? The way Jesus did. And how did he do it? He will not argue. He will not shout. No one will hear his voice in the streets. You know, there's a, there's a quote by a guy named Drew Jackson. He says, it's easy to call down fire. It's much harder to rain down mercy. And I think... Let, let's read our Bible well, number one, okay? How, how did Jesus come in his first coming? 
Like, I think sometimes we look to Revelation and we say, that's how we ought to do it. Well, that hasn't happened yet. We're still in between the first coming and the second coming. And remember what Paul says in Philippians 2? Have this same mind and attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who even though he considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped, he, he was God in the flesh, and yet he did not lord it. He did not use it for uh, you know, dubious purposes or anything like that. That's the model. Christ the servant. And so as we think about this desire for justice, my prayer for us is that we would understand kind of this middle way that God cares about justice and we should too. I don't think it does us any good when people talk about you know, racial justice, economic justice, climate justice, whatever justice. Look, I I can't keep up with all of them, and I'm sure you can't either. But that does not mean that we shouldn't have a conversation about justice. That we can't ask, where is that need, that desire coming from? And then point people to Christ, how he satisfies that pursuit of justice. And to be honest, let's not, let's not be so... against a phrase or a word that at the, the mere mention of it, we, 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 we put up our dukes and we want to go to war, go 12 rounds with someone. Instead, let's ask the question, how does the Bible define that term? So, for example, racial justice, that's a loaded phrase. Very loaded phrase. Let's acknowledge not everybody means the same thing by that phrase as everybody else. So number one, what do you mean by that? Are you talking about biblical justice applied to the issues of race in our country? Absolutely. But who gets to define the definitions? Jesus. Jesus gets to define what we mean by Justice applied to race. Justice applied to economics. Let's use economic justice. What do you mean by economic justice? Okay, are you talking about biblical principles applied to economics and applied to situations? Yes, absolutely. We can talk about that. So let's not, let's not run for the hills anytime we hear a phrase that's so loaded with with all the cultural baggage, but instead use that as an opportunity to point people to what the scriptures say. Whether it's about race, whether it's about economics, both of which the Bible has a lot to say. So, our main idea, like we said, was that Jesus is God's chosen agent to bring about justice and hope for the nations. How does the Gospel of Matthew end? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The nations are asking these questions and the only people who have the answers is us. So when we think about Jesus being this hope for the nations, I, I hope that this will challenge us in a way that, that we would approach those conversations a little bit differently. When you're in the workplace, when, you're in the, when, when you have to go through that workplace sensitivity training, if you have to go through that, you know, I know, I know you have to grit, you, you know, you bear it, you, you do whatever it is you have to do. But that's a chance to open up a conversation and say, 
you know, I, I want people to be treated fairly. I want people, I want bad people to get what they deserve. I don't want innocent people to suffer. And you know where I get that desire? And you know where that desire is so planted deeply in my heart? Is because I follow Jesus Christ, who was the perfectly innocent one crucified in the place of the guilty. And so let's take these chances to point people to the one who brings justice and hope and to share with them that hope. And then I think we'll, we'll be well on our way to better engaging those around us with the hope that is in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you, God, that uh, your, your word has so much to say to us on many things. And, and Lord, sometimes there are, they are things that we, we, if we're being honest, we'd rather not be confronted on. We, we'd rather not be told how we should pursue a sense of rightness and fairness because we have our own frameworks and our own understanding of, what, of how it should be done and the way we would prefer to do it. And yet, we come to Scripture and we cannot get around this, this massive text that Jesus, that, that, that God is concerned with justice. And God, that as we pursue justice as followers of Christ, the question of how and why really doesn't have a cultural answer. We're not motivated to seek justice because of cultural wins or um, fads. But God, we seek justice because you are a God who loves justice. You love when right prevails. And so, Lord, that, that call that comes to us to pursue justice, I, I, I pray that we would see it as a calling to engage the world around us, to point hungry hearts, hearts that are, are craving justice, to help them see that if they really wanted justice, that would mean their doom and their destruction. But that God himself came and satisfied justice so that we could have a hope of not just individual redemption, but cosmic redemption. Not just individual justice, but cosmic justice. God, we, we really have the answer that the world is seeking when it comes to justice. It's not a, it's not a doctrine. It's not a set of, of, of principles so much as it is a person. So Lord, may we point people to you, the God of, of justice. God, for the areas in our lives where we sense that we are craving justice, desiring justice to be done, God, and we haven't seen it yet. Lord, may we be patient. God, may we, may we la just labor in prayer, being patient, being prophetic, calling wrong, wrong, calling evil, evil. And God, trusting that, that your steady hand will bring justice to victory. God, the good encouragement that we can leave here with is that really justice in the end, is not something that we have to or can accomplish. It's your work. You will accomplish it in your time. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.